Greetings and welcome to the Men of Sorrows Finding Joy podcast. I am William Lloyd, a man of sorrow, finding joy. Our podcast is committed to supporting and encouraging men to process their grief in order to heal and return to joyful living in the midst of great sadness. Although it is directed toward men, all are welcome to tune in and participate, and we have had women guests, and we will continue to. But the reason for the Men of Sorrows finding joy, the reason that it's geared towards men, is in that the fact that most of the grief supports I attended after the death of my son, men were kind of noticeably absent, and one of the often heard reports of the wives and mothers and sisters about the men in the family, the report was, well, they are angry and keep busy. You know, big boys don't cry is a phrase my generation grew up with. Um, but here are men are invited to cry more and express their emotions by following the example of the best, bravest, and strongest man that ever lived, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 5, 7 says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And Isaiah 51 declares that Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Today's podcast is sponsored by TJB Web Media, a New Jersey SEO marketing and WordPress web design company for businesses, churches, and nonprofits. It is the number one ranked company in Google for New Jersey SEO company and New Jersey internet marketing companies. Um, New Jersey. I'm going to be going up there July 7th to the 12th. It's funny because I was thinking about this trip. And when when Liam first died, one of my best friends called me and we hang out. We smoke cigars together and play poker. We have things in common that we gravitated towards in our older age. And he had called me and he had said that, you know, I'll come down, like when Liam first died, I'll come down, you know, we'll go out, I'll take you somewhere, we'll go down to the Hard Rock. And that was like the last thing I wanted to do. I, I, that was the last thing I knew he meant well, but my goodness, it was, I, I nobody, I don't expect anyone to know. Pits of despair that you're in. And, but I'm going on this trip, I'm going to meet my buddy, <laughs> in Atlantic City and we're going to play poker we're going to smoke cigars I'm ready it's been four years and the reason why it is men of sorrows finding joy is because you do find joy again in living in fact it's beautiful today I I, want another one of my good friends recently lost his daughter almost like a niece to me my my daughter's best friend and you know she was such a sweet beautiful young lady with such a future ahead of her and the question is why why someone so young never hurt anybody that type of thing so good why why do evil things like this happen why do these parents that are good decent hard-working people that contribute and love why would this happen if God loves them and God cares about them why would it happen the closest thing in Scripture, so let's look at Scripture first. The closest thing in Scripture that we have is found in Isaiah chapter 57. And it basically says that 
people are taken away, and if they are taken away from here, they're spared a lot of trouble. I mean, part of life is heartache and suffering. Here, I'll, I'll read the verse, and then we'll riff on it a little bit, and then I want to go into Richard Rohr's book, um, Breathing Underwater, because in, in that book, he addresses this question. I've read many, many books on this subject. I've formulated my own answers as I played the role of a pastor for many years of how I would reply to people. And there's really there's really no satisfying answer. But Richard Rohr's chapter on suffering in Breathing Underwater is, is a worthwhile read. The entire book is, and I'll put it in the show notes, but the entire book is, is really worth to read. So let's look at the scriptures. Isaiah 57, it says, The righteous perish, meaning good people die. The righteous perish, and no one ponders it in his heart. Devout men are taken away, and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. Those who walk uprightly enter into peace and they find rest as they lie in death. Okay, so there it is. That's the one place in scripture where it might address the answer. Of why, do, why do good people die? Why do you have this lovely, beautiful young girl dying young? Why, why do you know, good people die? Why do bad things happen to good people? And here's what it says, a paraphrase of what we just read. Good people die. Good people are taken away, and no, understand, no one understands that they are taken away to be spared from evil. They enter heaven, and they are at total peace and rest. <laughs> that's, that's what it's saying. And that did not do anything for me when Liam first died. I believe in the resurrected Jesus Christ. I believe in the promise of resurrection, a new heaven, a new earth, that this life is not all there is. I believe in that with all my heart. But when Liam died, it, it got cloudy. It got fuzzy. It was too abstract. All I know is this life. And in this life, I was never, ever going to see my boy again, ever. I mean, death, we are so powerless over it. I mean, that person is gone from this earth, never to see or touch or feel with our senses again. So this passage here is basically saying that, hey, they're, they're, they're in a better place. You've heard that. Well, everyone that's grieved knows that we don't want them in a better place. We want them here with us so that we can put our arms around them and hug them and kiss them and tell them we love them. And we want them here with us because maybe there were things left unsaid. Maybe where there, there were some things you didn't say that you just you want to say it with all your heart. Well, this passage is telling us you'll get to say those things face to face one day. So that's that's the scriptures. It's saying that, and it could even be interpreted that God saw down the road what might happen and took them out of this world. You know, my friend John Glenn, and I mentioned him a lot because he was my grief counselor and mentor and a grief companion. Um, we sat in the pit together. And the, the depths of God's love in those times was amazing. But I remember him saying that he, when his daughter 
started to drive and she was going down to um, dental school down driving on 95 it drove him crazy he has PTSD from Vietnam to begin with but he was so afraid that something was happened to his daughter and he said that one day he got I don't know if it was a dream or a vision but God kind of telling him like if anything like that happened this is what it would look like and God reaching down and saying of his daughter, this world is not worthy of you. I'm taking you home to be with me. And he said that he laid it down after that, that he was able to not worry and be controlling. I remember crying and saying, John, you know, how did this happen? You know, why did God let this happen? Couldn't he have prevented it? He says, I know why God did it, because God loved Liam. So I think he was hinting at this very thing. So the promise of eternal life, the hope of eternal life, I really believe, and we, we've talked about it in a previous podcast, the, the passage from Thessalonians telling us that we can mourn with hope in our hearts, that we, we can mourn. And he, he tells us that we are going to be with our loved ones again. We are going to see them again. So it's that idea. But this this is where it talks about God actually removing people, taking them away to spare them from future evil, future trouble. Now, that might bring hope or it might not bring hope. I often think of it. You know, I remember reading that years ago. Another another friends of ours, years and years ago, this is back in the 1900s, back in the 1980s, um, friend of ours, very devout in the church, service-oriented and uh, music leaders. Their daughter died, I think at 13, and she had leukemia. And I remember the morning before going to the service reading this. I don't know whether I opened to it or a lot of times I would read chapter by chapter, day by day. And I remember reading it. And it's always stuck with me, this passage. And it did, I mean, it did come across my mind when Liam died, but I was not mourning Liam as a pastor or a teacher or, or a believer in Jesus Christ. I was mourning Liam as a father. And eventually, all of this took root in my mind. I want to make three points from Richard Rohr's book, Breathing Underwater. The final chapter is called Only a Suffering God Can Save. And he talks about the questions. Well, I'm going to read right here. He says, um, The evidence is overwhelming that God fully allows and does not stop genocides, the abuse of children, brutal wars, unspeakable human and animal suffering, imprisonment of the innocent, sexual enslavement, the death of whole species and civilizations, the tragic lives of addicts and their codependents, Further, God seems to be fully the cause, or at least he allows the natural disasters of drought, flood, hurricane, tornado, tsunami, plague, physical handicap, mental illness, painful disease of every kind, which we call acts of God, and all of which have made much of human life solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. The first point that he makes, and I want to make here, is that he makes the point 
that God is co-suffering with us in all of our suffering. He says there has to be a better way of framing both the question and any possible answer. Exactly how is God loving and sustaining what God created? That is our dilemma. He says, for me, there is a workable way through this. If God is somehow in the suffering, participating as a suffering object too, in full solidarity with the world that God created, then I can make some possible and initial sense of God and his creation. Then I stop complaining long enough to sit stunned and awakened at the very possibility at least if we are participating in suffering together and human suffering has some kind of direction or cosmic meaning, I could forgive such a God for leaving us in what seems like desperate straits. And maybe I can even find love and trust for such a God. You know, and that point that God is suffering with us, that he is in this suffering, I experientially when I came out of my dark night of the soul I was just well enough to speak at a very good friend's funeral service um, a very good friend of mine her son died was hit by a drunk driver um, I think at the age of 23 he was a um, Navy officer in the Navy he went through school went through um, the ROTC in college and, and went in as a commissioned officer and was hit by a drunk driver. And she had called me and she had asked me to speak. And I was, it was, I don't know how long it was in my journey. I think it might have been a little over a year. Yeah, it was a little over a year. And um, I remember praying and writing and I remember what I wrote. I remember I wrote that there really is no satisfactory answer for why God allows these things to happen and the problem of evil and suffering. I said, but what I do know, what I do know with all my heart and from experience is that God will sit with you in the darkness. He will sit you with you in the suffering. He will sit with you as long as you stay there. He'll, he'll sit there and you can cuss him out one side and down the other and he will stay with you. And when you avail yourself of that comfort and that love and you begin to sense that comfort and that love that he's sitting with you, that he's mourning with you, then you get some sense of divine love and peace. And what came out of that, my experience in knowing that God sits with you in the suffering sitting in the wound, as the, the Native Americans call it, that God would sit there. What came out of it was I sensed that I was part of this great, great, great eternal suffering mixed with this beautiful joy. And there's such a bigger picture and the trajectory that we're on to be and interface with God through all eternity is something beyond our comprehension. But I sensed God sitting with me and I sensed that he suffers with us. So that's the point that 
Richard Rohr makes, and he says, Suffering people can love and trust a suffering God. Only a suffering God can save suffering people. Those who have passed across this chasm can and will save one another. The other point that he makes is that God doesn't waste it. He says only if human suffering is divine suffering first of all and last of all can we begin to connect any of the dots. Only if we are joining God and God is joining us in something greater than the sum of its parts can we find a way through all of this. And then he talks about many of the happiest and most peaceful people I know love a God who walks with crucified people and thus reveals and redeems their plight as his own. Would any of us even learn to love at all if we were not demanded of us, taken from us, and called forth by human tears and earthly tragedy? And the second point that he's talking about, and I went out, I, I kind of coupled this with my experience that I've talked about on this podcast that one day, all in a flash of revelation, I realized why God had to allow this life to be the way it is for just the natural process of, of death, growth, the fall, renewal, spring, summer, winter, fall of life that, the, you know, that he allowed death and the process of aging and dying and suffering in this life for the next life to be what it is. I, I can't explain it in any logical form, but I did get a flash revelation of that. And in that, I realized that my suffering would not be wasted. And to be honest, I, I see people. I see people more. I just see them, if, if you can relate to that. I didn't want to live when Liam died I didn't want to die I didn't know what to do and I was in in total agony and despair and coming through that and the beauty that's on the other side I I have a deeper knowledge of God's love and commitment to me I know that God loves all people I know that if God doesn't love the guy over there then he doesn't love me because we're all the same every single one of us I've come to believe that God is bigger. The trajectory that the whole human race is on is more amazing than we can ever imagine. And that wouldn't have come about if it wasn't for the suffering. So the second point is God does not waste our suffering. And I believe suffering is necessary on some level. And I, I, I hate to say that, but I can't explain it otherwise. And then the third is that God never promised. God, see, we think we're in this deal with God that if we behave ourselves, nothing bad will happen to us. And God God never made that deal with us, ever. He never, he never co-signed that. If you look at the, what, the things that Jesus said, one of his promises that he said was, in this world you will have tribulation. And, and, and that word means great trouble. I always call the time that time of our lives, the great sadness, <laughs> the great 
you know, or I say that's before the bad came or the sadness came. Jesus, see, so God, God never made that deal. That old song we used to sing, what was it, Doris Day or Debbie Reynolds or somebody, I never promised you a rose garden. In fact, Jesus said, in this day, in, in this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus said that, and then he lived it out. He, he carried our burdens, he carried our sufferings. And if you look at Jesus Christ, who the, who the scriptures tell us that he was without sin. He loved people, he taught people, he healed people. He tolerated the, the, the bull crap of the religious Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day. And he loved people. And the ultimate, the ultimate was that when they put Jesus before this kangaroo court, falsely accused him, beat him to a pulp, plucked out his beard, whipped him, spit at him, custom the the crowd said we don't need you we don't want you give us barabbas and then they killed him unjustly they murdered him and jesus never stopped loving a single human being he never stopped loving anybody and jesus suffered and he knows suffering he died one of the most agonizing deaths on the cross. And he turned the cross, which was really the, the capital punishment torture chamber of his day into this beautiful symbol of grace and mercy and peace and forgiveness. So God does, God, Jesus suffered. And I think when you look at Jesus Christ on the cross, suffering, you know that he knows our suffering and that he's acquainted with our suffering the third point is that jesus suffered and jesus never promised us that we would not suffer it's not like he says you know do as i say not as i do he walked the walk he talked the talk he did richard war says in his book jesus is more than anything else the god of all who suffer more than any tribal God that can be encompassed in a single religion or faith. Jesus is in competition with no world religion, but only in non-stop competition with death, suffering, and the tragic sense of life itself. That is the only battle he wants to win. He wins it by including it all inside of his body groaning in one great act of giving birth, waiting until our bodies are fully set free. I like Richard War says, we finally have the answer. So to mourn for one is to mourn for all. Suffering opens the channel through which all of life flows and by which all creation breathes. I still do not know why, yet it is somehow beautiful, even if it is sad and tragic beauty. And then he ends with the poem, a poem from one of those Greek tragic <laughs> poets, Asilkis. And it says, the one who learns must suffer. And even in our sleep, pain that cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart. 
and our and in our own despair against our own will comes wisdom to us by the awful grace of God. So I would strongly suggest reading the whole book, but really breathing underwater the final chapters on suffering. I mourn with all that mourn today. I sense grief all around me. Having been through it, sometimes I don't even know what to say to those that are suffering, but I do know, I do know if they open themselves up to the awful grace of God, they will find what they need. They'll find what they need. So I hope that helps. Like I said, I strongly suggest um, reading that book. Check out chapter 57 of Isaiah. You know, one of the greatest treaties on suffering is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible is the the second half of Romans chapter 8. And basically it tells us that God is with us in that suffering. So the three points are that God suffers with us. He co-suffers with us. His Our suffering is his suffering. And he's suffering with us as we suffer. And we suffer with him. The second point that is suffering does produce something in us. It's not wasted. God does not waste it. And somehow, some way... For the next life to be what it is, God allows allows all this. It has to the the death and aging process and all of it, the struggles, make what the next life, the new heaven and new earth, will be. And then the third is God never made that deal with us, that if we behaved we wouldn't suffer. He said that, you know, in this life you will have tribulation, you will have sorrow and heartache, and that Jesus Christ Himself walked that out right in front of us to where he was crucified, loved, let people kill him without any retaliation and suffered and that we can trust and know and know in the depths of our being a suffering God. You'll find information on the book and other things in the show notes. Um, You can email me the email my email address is in there and check out the other podcast and remember god's grace is sufficient his power is made perfect in our weakness and nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of god in christ jesus we are we are on a trajectory of this big beautiful picture and you're going to be with your loved ones again and they're going to be exactly what you need them to be exactly where you need to be and it's going to be beyond our comprehension so exhilarating keep that hope in mind promise you you will see your loved one again god bless